Second Chronicles chapter 7, familiar to many of us. But as we are finding ourselves in a, in a time and a season where we're, we're seeing so much lawlessness and so much um, uh, hatred and, and anger, we're seeing so much wickedness and, and pride and, and greed and, and, and rebellion against authority and rebellion against God, in this moment of time, our nation is, as our motto has always been, one nation under God is on the precipice of becoming a divided nation without God. The answer is Jesus, but, but according to Second Chronicles, Jesus is expecting something from us. He'll show up and he'll revive and he'll restore based on the temperature of his body. That's us. So this morning we're going to look at uh, how God makes his declaration of his activity among his people when there needs healing in the land. Now, let me set the, the context for you in Second Chronicles chapter 7. So uh, David had had it in his heart for years to build a temple, a, a permanent worship structure in place for the presence of God and for the worship of God for Israel. Uh, David was not permitted to do that because David had been a warrior. There had been blood on David's hands. But God said, I will bless you by allowing your son Solomon to build the temple. So Solomon builds the temple, and they're having a huge, glorious dedication service, if you will. And there's a lot of celebrating, there's dancing, there's, there's singing, there's offerings being brought, and, and, and Solomon is praying in chapter 6, he's praying for the presence of God to move into that place and make himself known, and all of a sudden, whoosh, fire from heaven comes down and God ignites the altar of burnt offering. Nobody, nobody took a, a Zippo lighter or anything else, they, he just lit it straight from heaven. Do you know that's happened two other times in the scriptures? Back when Moses was dedicating the tabernacle, which was the portable structure for the worship of God for Israel, when they were dedicating that, fire came down from heaven and lit that offering. You know what God was saying in those two occasions? I choose to dwell in this place. You know where the third occasion was? The day of Pentecost. Well, Elijah too, but the day of Pentecost, you remember what happened there? Upper room, tongues of fire separated and rested upon each one of them. Never happened again. God never came down and lit the burnt offering on the altar at the tabernacle of the temple again. He did it one time to say, this is where I dwell. On day of Pentecost, boom, Holy Spirit comes. He says, this is where I will dwell. That's you and that's me. The presence of God in us. And with us. Amen. So Solomon then uh, goes to bed that night and he's, he's sleeping and great celebration has been going on for several days. And God speaks to him. And so we pick up in verse number 12. And let's read it together here. It says in verse 12, the Lord appeared to him, that Solomon at night. And he said, Solomon, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land or to send a plague among my people. Stop, pause button for a moment. 
Yes, God does that. Yes, God does do that. He does it for the salvation of the souls of humankind. There are those moments when he says, you must fear me. You must know me. And when we're so far from him that he's got to do something radical to get our attention, that's what he says he'll do. Then he says this, when I do that, now verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, that's us, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. And I think that's why the Lord's asked us to open our church on the 26th and, and make this simulcast available here for our community at Victory Family Church because he hears the prayers offered by his people in what Jesus said is a house of prayer. So again, I want to encourage you to come, be a part of that. But this morning, as we look at uh, this idea of God healing our land, we recognize real quickly, and these are not in your, your notes on the app or anything, but, but you saw three, three aspects of God's work in his people on this earth. One of them was God's house. He said, I'll hear your prayers. God's house is a house of prayer. That's what we've got to be doing, praying. He says, he talks to God's people, that God's people in this time must be pure, must be holy, must fear him and return to him. So when Jonathan Kahn talks about the return event on September 26th, not saying that that's the day Jesus is coming back and his return. No, what he's saying is it's time for the church in America to return to a fear of the holy God. That's what he means by return. And then the third aspect of what we just read is God's promise. He promises to restore. He promises to revive. He promises to help and to heal. If, everybody say if, if my people. This morning for a few minutes, I want to I focus on the if. It's a small word, right? Two letters, but huge impact. If is a word used over 1,600 times in the Bible, Old and New Testament. In the New Testament, over 570 times the word if is included in a promise or some sort of conversation. In the Gospels, over half, of the, over half of those 570 ifs are found in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In other words, Jesus. The if is powerful for God because every covenant God made, every promise God has made to mankind comes with an if. Because that's what a covenant is. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. And the if, in any sentence, it, it, it's called a connective participle. Now everybody feel very intelligent? I didn't learn that in high school English. I probably did, but I didn't know it then, but I did Google it. And it means it connects one result to another. 
So it always connects. So, so let, me, let me give you a few examples of some ifs that are just in the Bible there. Just a, just a few, not very many. Deuteronomy 11 says, if you obey, there will be blessings. And then he goes on, and if you disobey, there will be curses upon your land. Deuteronomy 28, you need to go home today and read the entire chapter of Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's God speaking blessings. He says, if you obey me and obey my commands, I will. And then he just lists all these blessings that he will bring to the land of Israel. And then he says, but if you disobey, I will curse the land. And do you realize that, that in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, two-thirds of the verses in Deuteronomy chapter 28 are the curses for disobeying? It ain't ever good, friend. Disobedience to God and his word never ends well. Carries heavy consequences. John 8, 31, Jesus says, If you hold to my word, you will be set free. Where's freedom come? If you hold to God's word. John 15, 7, If you abide in me, Jesus says, ask and it will be done. Where's the assurance of answered prayer? If I'm abiding in Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, the result will be you will be saved. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, if we acknowledge our sin, he will forgive us. So you see, the if always transitions to a promised result, but it's based on the if. And this is a huge a huge two-letter word in Second Chronicles chapter 7. I want to talk about the if for a moment. Let me give you three truths about this two-letter word in Second Chronicles. If, if my people. First is this, the if is imperative. It's imperative. It's set in stone. It's non-negotiable. It does not change. You say, Pastor, this... Uh, you know, this promise, it was to Israel. You're right, exactly right. And it's still a promise for the nation of Israel. They are called by his name. They are his holy people set apart for him through the end of the ages, through eternity. But I believe that with the miraculous forming of this nation and the blessings that this nation knew from the beginning and the intent of establishing an opportunity for freedom of worship of the one true God, God has favored this nation. He's favored this nation to be a light like a, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. There's not another nation on the face of the earth other than the nation of Israel who gave us Jesus and the apostles and the word of God. There's not another nation on the face of the earth that has done more to reach the nations of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ than the United States of America. God has favored our nation. If my people and in this nation we have the church, the church of Jesus Christ, the true church, the true followers of Christ. If my people. Next week, we're going to talk about what we need to be doing, what that looks like and what God promises to do.
But this if is imperative. It does not change. Every covenant has an if in it. I told you that already. The if speaks directly of our responsibility to God. God promises these blessings. Our responsibility is the if. These blessings are yours if you will obey me. If you will seek me. If you will search for me. If you will pray to me. If you will repent and return to me. Who? The church. The people of God. It's imperative. It's imperative. Secondly, it's intentional. This if is there for a purpose. If my people, God's giving a specific purpose to us, the people called by his own name. And in the New Testament, that's us, the church. It's a specific purpose. He wants to bless our nation. He wants to continue his favor on our nation. He wants to continue the spread of the gospel. He wants to continue the influence of our nation to bring some sense of wholeness and rightness into our world. I'm afraid we're so mixed up, we, we can't do that very well right now. And he says the healing of that is going to come when the church starts getting it right. So it's, it's imperative, but, but it's intentional. He desires to bless this nation, but the blessing is going to come when there is an understanding from his own people that there is a fear of God for our nation. When times such as we're in right now begin to happen, I told you a few weeks ago that I believe what's been happening from the beginning of this year, so much of these events, is because the enemy, Satan, has, has opened a door to wreak havoc, to bring confusion, to bring death, to bring destruction, to destroy faith, to destroy financial prosperity, to destroy the soul of a nation with division and hatred. He's opened a door. But I also told you that at the same time, God opens a door. And this is a time, this, the door God has opened is the opportunity for the most incredible revival and move of his Holy Spirit. When the power and presence of God moves through that door that he has opened, can you imagine a nation at peace where the streets are no longer barricaded and Molotov cocktails are flying everywhere? Where people of every color feel loved and appreciated and accepted by all? Where there is this financial prosperity once again? It comes because it's what God desires. But think about the great opportunity God's opening now. We're seeing darkness. We're seeing pretty thick darkness. Now, if you, if you think this is the apocalypse, if you think this is the tribulation... Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> no, this is, this is a wake-up call. This is God, as he has done throughout the Scripture, showing people what it's like if he lifts his hand. And God says that it's my people. It's my people. I absolutely believe this, church. 
That when in reading the end times through the scriptures and, and the return of Christ and the second coming of Christ and the tribulation and the millennial reign of Christ, in looking at that, I absolutely believe that what allows the tribulation to be so crazy, dark, wicked, and intense is that the church has been lifted. The church has been raptured. You see, Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are influencers. Now, they want to shut us up. They want to shut us down. They want to keep us out. But where will the world be when Jesus takes the church to be with him, when he comes for his bride? Now, people say, well, pastor, the, the, the church being raptured, the Holy Spirit is still going to be here because people are getting saved. Yeah, but you know who they are starting with? People who knew truth that didn't follow truth. Now, all of a sudden, they do believe it. That's where the move of God's Spirit will be in the tribulation time. But I'm saying this. We have such opportunity for influence, church, for God to do something powerful. Next week, we're going to look. There's some things we gotta, we got to straighten up, some things we got to work on. Don't skip. I know you already said, okay, that doesn't sound like very much fun. No, the, the excitement is being a part of the change, being a part of the revival. So it's intentional. This if is also very inviting, and, and I alluded to that just now. He's giving us a wake-up call. He's giving us a heads-up, and he's showing us that, that he can do something in this if he can count on us. He's inviting us to be a part of the next great movement of his spirit on the face of this earth. Now we can sleep or we can step up. Heard something powerful. Pastor Mark Batterson, who pastors, I uh, uh, can't remember the exact name of the church in Washington, D.C., was listening to his podcast several weeks ago, and he's, he's a big historian, and so he talks a lot about the history of D.C. And, but he, in this one story, he used the... The, the fable of, uh, what was the guy's name that slept all those years? Rip Van Winkle. And he says, most people don't catch it in the story, but when, whip, whip. <laughs> when Rip Van Winkle went to sleep, there was a picture of the king of England. When he woke up from his deep slumber, there was a picture of the first president of the United States of America. There had been a revolution. This was his point. There had been a revolution, and he had slept all the way through it. And his challenge to his church was, let's don't sleep through what God's wanting to do. So it's inviting. He's inviting us to be a part of what he is doing and is about to unleash in some incredible ways. He's looking to see, how are you thinking, church, during this time? How are you responding so he says, if my people. So the if is huge. But let's talk for a moment about the importance of the who. The importance of the who. That's us, the church. If my people. There's a lot of responsibility given to us as the church of Jesus Christ. You see, we, we've gotten locked into some patterns that it's, that it's uh, you know, it's as simple as just a Sunday morning 
attendance, maybe an occasional midweek attendance and, and giving an offering and, and maybe doing a life group, being a part of a life group or something like that. But no, it's, it's so much, so much more power that God has to release through us the church. It's not about an organization. It's about a living organism alive with the presence of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Everywhere Jesus went, stuff changed. People changed. Truth was spoken. Darkness was dispelled. Sickness and disease were cast down. Everywhere Jesus went. There's so much more that God is anticipating for his church to be a part of this new this next, let me say it that way, this next move of his spirit. So let's talk about the importance of the who. We as the church, first this, we are the anointed of Christ. Everybody say anointed. We're the anointed of Christ. Acts chapter 1, he's preparing the disciples for his ascension to heaven. He says, stay here in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. And then he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my, say it with me, witnesses. You'll receive power. Now the scripture tells us about this Holy Spirit very thoroughly. You want to know more? Read John 14, read John 16, read the book of 1 Corinthians, read the book of uh, Romans learn and see this activity of the Holy Spirit. But the scriptures tell us very clearly, it says, it says, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal bodies. Now what he's talking about there is if we die before Jesus comes back, he will take us up from the grave to be with him. He will quicken these mortal bodies to be glorified and to be with him. But notice what it says, if the same spirit there is only one Holy Spirit. And he's the same Holy Spirit who lived in Jesus. To demonstrate that for our behalf, when Jesus was baptized in water, he came up out of the water. He's the Son of God. He is God in flesh. He is the exact representation. He is God with us, Emmanuel. Yet when he comes up out of the water being baptized, he said, it must be this way. When he comes up out of the water... They saw what appeared like a dove descending upon him. It was, it was the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a dove. The idea is that he was lighting upon Jesus. He was coming from heaven to Jesus. And if you want some more verification about Jesus having the Holy Spirit, is we don't have any recorded miracles of Jesus until after that event. Why? Because he subjected himself in his human body. He subjected himself to God the Father. That's why he said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Well, how are you doing all this stuff, Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit. And he's the same Holy Spirit in John 14 and 16, Jesus says, that I'm going to give to you. In Acts 1, he says, that same Holy Spirit is going to give you power to be my witnesses. In other words, wherever you go, people are going to see me. Wherever you go, people are going to hear me. Wherever you go, people are going to know I am alive. Why? Because you are my witnesses. You have my Holy Spirit. 
We are the anointed. You know why God is relying on us to see revival brought to our land? We are the ones who possess his spirit. I'm convinced of this, that our revival, that our turnaround, the hope of our nation is not whoever wins the election on November 3rd. The hope of our nation is not in the politicians. It's not in the policies and the procedures. The hope of our nation will be a church who is doing what the church does, filled with the presence and power of Jesus, then God will put who needs to be in the right spot. God will put the people who make the right policies. Do we vote? Yes, we do. Do we pray and find out who God expects and anticipates us to cast our vote for? Absolutely so. We'll take 30 days to make sure we get it right, praying and fasting. But the bottom line is, the Word of God says it's God who puts people into positions. You know how that's determined? By what we deserve. Did you catch that? Did you look sometimes and say, man, how could God put them in a position of authority? And His sovereignty... He knows what we deserve. He knows what we need. If the church will return, our nation will get what we need. But it's on us, the anointed of Jesus Christ. Not only is it that we are anointed, but as God's people, as God's children, as followers of Christ, we are the ambassadors of Christ. Anybody go back far enough in the Assemblies of God to remember the ambassadors of Christ? Christ's ambassadors? There's a few of you. They were already, that that was before my time, but I've heard a lot about them. I've heard the theme song a few times. You remember those days, huh? Well, that's, okay, let me back up. That just sounded like I said you were old as Methuselah, didn't it? Okay, don't read into my words. What I mean is I didn't get saved until after Christ's ambassadors was no longer what the youth of the Assemblies of God were called. She grew up in this thing, and so that's, that's how. Where do you want to go for lunch today? Del Frisco sound good to you? Okay. We have lunch plans. We are the ambassadors of Christ. You know, you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a city of one nation who is sent as an uh, appointed person and an appointed representative to another nation. And while they are in that other nation, let's just take the ambassador of America to, uh, to uh, the nation of Chile. I don't even know who that person is, but we would have a, an ambassador. He's a citizen of the United States of America. He has been appointed by the head of the United States of America, which is the president, to represent the interest. He is the highest ranking American official in that land of Chile. He's not the president of America. He's not the vice president. But in, our, in that nation, he is our highest representative who speaks and represents the interests of the United States of America as it pertains to their relationship with that nation, say Chile. So Paul tells us this. We saw this in our study that we just wrapped up two weeks ago, or last week actually, on Philippians Chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, you are citizens of heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. 
Then Paul tells us in first in second Corinthians five, verse 20, he says, therefore we are ambassadors. In other words, we're still here, even though we're citizens of heaven. And according to Paul's writing in Colossians, we already reside. Our citizenship is there. We're still here. Why? Because, 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. God making his appeal to the world through his people. Why is God looking to us to be the, the, the ones he can bring that revival through? Because we are his anointed and we are his ambassadors. We are appointed to represent him, to speak for him, and to serve him. And if God has always called intercessors to stand in the gap, Moses, Lord, if you destroy these people, how's that going to look to the nations around us once we've told them you were the holy God? Um, Abraham, when he came to Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham says, look, if there was at least 50, 40, 30, 10 righteous people, God says, for 10 righteous, I wouldn't destroy the city. couldn't find 10 righteous. He's always looked for intercessors, and, and that's who he looks to today, who will be his voice. Who's going to speak truth? Who's speaking truth? I'm not talking about opinion. I'm talking about God. Who's going to speak truth when the Speaker of the House says, Mother Nature, Mother Earth is angry? Who's going to speak the truth? And maybe it's Father God in heaven who's angry at the lack of fear and honor that is to be his. Who's going to speak that maybe it's, it's Father God who's, who's angry that there are so many gods in our nation that we've placed above him. Who, who are those people? It's not the politicians. It's not the atheists. It's not the pagans. You want to know how mixed up all of this mess is in 2020? I just read yesterday of a transsexual individual who is a, who is a professed pagan and anarchist against police and all of that. And they just got nominated in their county to be the Republican, the GOP nominee for county sheriff. And this person being interviewed says, I can't believe how sick this is. They said, I'm running on a fluke. And it paid off. Now you see how sick this is. That's just another sign of how out of balance we have become. In the old, that's exactly right. Woe to those who call good bad and bad good. Woe to those who punish the, the innocent and appease and appraise the, appray, appeal the, whoever, the, the, 
the guilty. There we go. That's the word. That's what happens when I get away from my notes. So what's the answer? God says, look, you guys are my ambassadors. You signed up. What's going on down there? What are you doing? I'm about to change the picture on the wall. Hello? Do you hear me? Do you see me? Why don't you see me? Why don't you hear me? You're my ambassadors. The healing comes when you do what you're asked and called to do, what you've been anointed to do. And then thirdly, we are appointed. We are the anointed, we are the ambassadors of Christ, and we are the appointed of Christ. Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, he spoke that as he is commissioning Peter, and he says, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. What was the rock? The rock was his confession. Peter had just said, no matter what anybody else says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, that's amazing. Man did not teach you that. That came directly from the Holy Spirit. I can work with that conviction. In fact, I can work with it so that I will build my church on that conviction. You know who the church of Jesus Christ is? Those who with conviction, led by the Holy Spirit of God, say, you are Jesus, the Son of God. You are our King and there is no other. You are the risen one and there is no other hope for life but you, Jesus. That conviction is what he builds his church on. And he says, I'm going to give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so some critics would say, well, that was for Peter and he would preach the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. And yes, he did. But in Matthew 18, Jesus makes it across the board, the church. But he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. So we've been appointed by Jesus. Here's the deal. You know what keys represent? They represent authority. They represent power. Okay, so I carry two sets of church keys because I invariably lock one somewhere and I always got to have another one to get my way out of it. And that's it right there. That little itty bitty key opens every door in this church. That gives me power to go into any room any closet, some I don't dare go into because it is a church and there's just stuff piled everywhere. And along that line, don't ever eat anything out of the church refrigerator because you do not know how long that pea salad has been sitting there. And I will tell you this, if you find pea salad in there right now, it's been there quite a while. It's been a long time since we've gathered. But a key represents authority. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm giving you the authority to loose and to bind, to permit, and to forbid. I don't want to shock you or scare you today, but church, that's a heavy responsibility. It's all weighing on you and me. And that's huge. And we say, well, you know, that's a little bit much for me. You're right, it is. But you've been filled with this Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Right? So it's a heavy responsibility, but it is what he's given us. 
I wouldn't trade the anointing of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ for any education, for any degree. Do I believe in education and degrees? Absolutely so. But I wouldn't trade anything. I wouldn't trade position or prosperity for anything in place of the Holy Spirit's anointing. So he's empowered us with this authority, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so keys open doors. And the scriptures talk a lot about doors. Malachi 3.10, see if I will not throw open the floodgates. Um, in Psalms, we read this powerful verse. It takes a lot to wrap your mind around, but it says, uh, Rise up, O gates, that the king of glory may come in. Ancient gates, swing open that the king of glory may come in. O ancient gates, swing wide, and it says it again, so that the king of glory may come in. Years ago, I stopped on that passage and I thought, hmm. And every time I read it in my daily devotions, which is once a month, because I read through the book of Psalms once a month, I'm back at it again. Swing wide, O ancient. Swing wide that which is God, who is the ancient of days who is the eternal one forever from beginning to end, Alpha and Omega, first and last, who is the unchanging God. Open wide. Open wide that the King of glory may make his entrance. You know what it tells me from that and then Jesus putting these two together now? We are gatekeepers for the kingdom of God. We're not only ambassadors, we're the gatekeepers. And if something shouldn't be coming in, we got the authority to close the door. If something should be coming in, we have the authority to open the door. It's an interesting thing on this idea of, of binding. The word bind that Jesus uses there means to tie up, forbid, or to restrain. In other words, the activity of Satan, the activity of darkness and wickedness, we have an authority to bind. Now, that doesn't mean we go around chasing around everybody who we think's got a demon in them and tie them up with a rope and bind them. It has to do with intercession. Watch this. Watch this. So the word bind means tie up, forbid, or restrain. It, it, it's a small, short word, and when you put the right suffix to it. Tom, that's right. The, the ending of a word is a suffix. Prefix. Yeah, suffix. So you put the right suffix with it and it, it's a word that means to call out, to call out, to pray, to intercede. You've been given. You've been given an authority through prayer and intercession Remember, we're, we're not warring against uh, we're not warring against uh, people. We're not warring against politicians. We're not warring against a certain party. We are warring against principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities in the heavenly places. And what that means is there's a war that's constantly going on. Go read Daniel chapter nine and ten and discover the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece and the angel coming to Daniel to reveal the prophecy to him. These principalities and these powers are warring between heaven and, and hell, the darkness and the light, righteousness and unrighteousness, godliness and ungodliness. And it says, Paul says, principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities. There's this, this, this chain of command, you, if you will. 
And whatever's happening there, whoever, whatever is, is taking stronghold there is what happens here. It happens over nations, church. I know there are some who say, no, you guys that preach that nations can, can uh, have strongholds from heaven over them, you're foolish for saying it. No, I don't believe so because I go to Daniel 9 and 10. And it specifically says that the prince of Persia was ruling, the, the demonic powers of Persia were ruling the children of Israel. How? Israel was in bondage in Persia for 70 years. You know when that bondage ended? When the angel told Daniel, when the prince of Greece, or I'm sorry, he says, I will go back and bring an end to the prince of Persia. At the end of 70 years, the Persian king says, hey, you know what? You guys are free to go back. Why? Because the angel had gone back after talking to Daniel, and he had done, he had done his warfare. He says, and then there will come the prince of Greece. That's what the angel told him. Now, Daniel doesn't know what that means. We do, because we have history books. There came a time just within 150 to 200 years or so that Alexander the Great made his way into that Persian Babylonian territory and overthrew it. Tell me God's word is not the word of God. Tell me that God's word is the mind and the imagination of man. It's eternal. It is truth. And he's looking to ambassadors to bring that truth. Now I'm already back on ambassadors. Here we are with the keys. Our authority that has been given to us is in the realm of prayer. Yet it is the least thing we, as the ambassadors of Christ, do. Yet, it is the key. It is the key. It is the key to the well-being of your family, your children, and your spouse, and your grandchildren. It is the key to the prosperity, well-being, and success of Victory Family Church and any church in this community to fulfill the mission of Christ. It's not programs. It's prayer. It is the answer. It is the power to change our nation. So what did God say? If my people, my ambassadors, my anointed and my appointed will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, which is a part of praying, and repent, which is a part of praying, I will hear. What? I will hear prayers. I will hear the keys turning the lock. And I will heal their land. It's us, guys, ladies. It is us. It's very sobering, very humbling. Awe-inspiring, which what God's after right now is a church that will walk in the fear of the Lord. That'll come next week. We'll talk more about that next week. So here's, here's where we go from here. One, we're going to turn this place into a global house of prayer Saturday, September 26th. And we're going to join people from around the world as it's being telecast live from the heart of our nation, the capital, Washington, D.C. We, the people called by his name, are going to come together. And we're going to consecrate ourselves in a day of prayer. Then on 
Monday, October 5th, we will begin 30 days of prayer and fasting. You will be encouraged and challenged to in some way incorporate the surrender of a meal or meals through that 30 days. Now, you guys know that have done this with us over and over. We did it at the beginning of this year. We typically do it at the beginning of each year. You will choose how you will do and honor that season of fast. But, but that we would all together be saying, Lord, we're going to humble ourselves, pray, seek your face, and turn from our wicked ways. And we're going to pray. We'll be given prayer points for each day as to how we can all be praying in agreement together. But it's us, church. It's us.